Welcome back to episode 30 of the Fantasy Front Office Podcast for the week of February 26th, 2018. The hot stove is cooking. We've got deals moving Souza from Tampa Bay to the Diamondbacks. Dickerson has moved after the DFA. Mabin has latched on to pretty much an everyday situation. And we have a Lomo signing. All that coming up. And now, entering your ears, your Fantasy Front Office. And in the front office with me today, we have Keith and Todd. We had to send Phil off on a little uh, DL stint, and he'll be back with us next week. So kicking off today's show, man, the hot stove really took off pretty much as soon as we stopped recording last week. Let's kick it off with the big one. Steven Souza has been dealt from Tampa Bay to the Arizona Diamondbacks. What do you have on this here, Todd? Well, obviously you're losing J.D. Martinez. You lose a lot of pop in the lineup. So it's an awesome ad. A guy who hit 30 homers last year. He'll be the everyday starter in left field. Uh, 16 stolen bases, 30 homers, kills right-handed pitching, 27 of his homers came against righties last year. Um, so it's an awesome spot for Souza, even if the Humidor, um, he's going to have every day at bats hanging right behind Goldie. I'm very happy about the trade. Any indication on where he's going to hit in that lineup, Todd? Where, where do you say he's going to hit? Right now I heard that he's going to hit behind Goldschmidt. So yeah, he's, he's going to benefit from a lot of Goldschmidt being on base. Um, we don't know what the Humidor is going to do, and we probably don't want to get into that right now, but I think it's definitely a quality add for the Diamondbacks based on how much they they had to give up in, in, in order to get him. So I think uh, he'll do well for the Diamondbacks this year. All right. Last week we were discussing that Corey Dickerson was DFA'd briefly and he was dealt to Pittsburgh. What is the benefit of him moving from the trop out to Pittsburgh do for him, Todd? Well, the good thing for Dickerson is that he'll be the everyday left fielder. Suzo would be for the Diamondbacks. Uh, the thing with Dickerson, obviously, is that he's extremely streaky, but he's going to get plenty of uh, run in that lineup, and I think it, ultimately it's a good fit. Obviously, PNC Park leans more towards a pitcher's ballpark, but you know he's going to get every day at bats. He'll be right in the middle of that lineup, so I think for Dickerson, this is one of the better landing spots that he could have got. And like Todd was saying, he's such a wild card. I mean, we've seen him go on unbelievable stretches where we were considering him as, you know, like a top 60 or 70 pick at one point last year. Um, and, and obviously that kind of faded towards the second half. Um, and we're not really sure what version of Dickerson we're going to get. But if you own him, it's definitely going to be, you know, a situation where his value spikes and then drops and spikes and then drops. And you're going to have to be patient just based on what type of a hitter he is and what that kind of causes with his, his ups and downs and, and how streaky he is. All right, let's turn our attention to the other Florida team here. The Marlins actually made some major league signings this week, and they signed Cameron Mabin. Keith, what's the outlook here for Mabin? I think it's actually pretty favorable. If you look at his production over the last several seasons, it hasn't been very good. But that's just based on the limited at-bats and opportunities that he's had. And I think the general perception of Mabin has been that he can't stay healthy, right? I think that's what kind of everybody says. Well, you know, the knock on him is he can't stay healthy. And 
You know, I ran the numbers based on DL days over the last three seasons. There's over 400 players that have been injured or spent more time on the DL than Cameron Maben. Wow. 400. <laughs> yeah. You give him an opportunity in, in not the, the greatest ballpark with not the greatest lineup, but where he potentially could see 500 bats and, you know, you could have a 40 steal season, 10, 12 home runs. His run production in the leadoff spot could be really, really good. And his draft pick right now is like, you know, past pick number 400. So you're, you're virtually giving up nothing and the upside is just it's immense yeah maybe 33 stolen bases last year so it's definitely a cheap source for stolen bases uh last year he had a good first half and then once he got uh, sent to the angels kind of struggled in the second half with limited playing time and i think getting every day at bats obviously like keith said he's not as injury prone as we just kind of thought he was so i think for a source of stolen bases i think he could be a 10 home run 30 plus stolen base guy he only played 114 games last year with the 33 stolen bases so there's a lot of speed upside of Maven. In his batting average, I think it was like 232 or something like last yeah. year. It won't be that low again. There's no way. He's a 260, 265 hitter. He's not going to hurt you in batting average. And running him out there in the leadoff spot every single day is really going to help his consistency. So he's only going to get more comfortable at the plate. So his batting average should go up. I mean, he's not yeah. going to give you you know more than 100 runs. And he probably won't even give you 100 runs just because... That lineup's not going to turn over enough, enough times, but if he gives you, you know, 85 runs plus potentially 40 steals and, and 10 or 12 home runs uh, as your fifth outfielder or your, you know, bench guy, that's, I mean, that's a huge, you know, lift for your lineup. Yeah, in 91 games in 2016 with the Tigers, he hit 315 of a 383 on base percentage. So somewhere between last year and 2016, I think his average will lie right in the middle. But. Yeah, I'd like to own both the outfielders, at least two, <laughs> two of the outfielders. In Miami, you know, Brinson, is, we talked about him, I think, last week. Going around pick 300 is just just crazy to me. So if I could own both those guys in, in deep formats or as kind of the last pick in your draft, I think they're both worth uh, an ad. All right. Now, one of the other major free agents out there has signed. Logan Morrison is now a member of the Minnesota Twins. And kind of on the sly, Minnesota's having a really good offseason. What do we see this doing for his value? He, he had a pretty big break. Obviously, he had a breakout season last year. I mean, he had 38 home runs in his just over 600 plate appearances. The three previous seasons to that, he had 1,274 plate appearances and hit just four more home runs. So your range of outcomes for Logan Morrison is is pretty wide. Now, I know he made some adjustments to the dish specific, specifically that to help him and his swing. So as much as I want to buy into his increase of 130 points for, for OPS and, and, you know, a complete overhaul of his swing, I, I really want to see a little bit larger of a sample size um, before I invest too much in him. Yeah, because, I mean, personally, I don't think he's going to hit 38 homers again. But I think he could be a guy in the tw- mid-20s, and he gave you a 353 on base percentage, and I think he's not going to hurt you in either of those categories. He's going 295 overall. So there's a lot of value, number 26 first baseman. So I think overall it's a good spot for Morrison. He's going to get every day at bats. And, you know, there's a value with him going so late. All right, a couple last news items hitting the wires. Uh, Touted prospect Brent Honeywell is having to go in for the dreaded Tommy John surgery. He made it 10 pitches into live batting practice. 
cursed on the mound and walked off with a trainer. That's kind of a big hurt for many uh, prospect-heavy fantasy teams out there relying on his emergence this season. And he had the potential of making 15 to 20 starts this year. His arms is MLB ready as any of the prospects in his class. So it's pretty disappointing, not only from a personal standpoint for him. I mean, he was expecting to to make the club and maybe it was a little bit overdue, but also for people that have drafted in dynasty leagues, like you're saying earlier in the season, you know, luckily most, most drafts are happening probably in the next several weeks. But yeah, it's, it's a big bummer. And this is this time of year for fans. Fantasy is exciting because you get to see spring training and some of the the young stars start to start to hit and hit for power and stuff like that in, in spring training. But you also have injuries like this that kind of you know deflate all the hope out of some of the prospect teams you own. And the last item here, well, with pretty much the whole Tampa Bay outfield leaving Tampa Bay, they had to bring in somebody. And Carlos Gomez has signed. Does he have relevance getting every day at bats in Tampa Bay? I think he does, just because. His per game production is better than what his draft status is. And so he's had a pretty negative vibe to him the past couple of years because he, he fell off so far from what his all-star seasons were. But if you take away from that and you don't expect him to be even your third, fourth best outfielder, I think there's still a spot for him in some leagues. Obviously, the deeper formats, the AL only, stuff like that. But I think he's still valuable on a per-game basis as long as he's getting regular bats and he looks like he's going to do that. Yeah, it's great that he found a landing spot where he is going to play every day. Uh, his current ADP is 374. Not, uh, the number 90 outfielder currently according to fan tracks so that's amazing value he's a guy who still stole 17 bases last year so the speed's still there it's an interesting uh power speed combo so carlos gomez yeah at that value that late in the draft i i'm gonna have him in a couple leagues he's a guy to me who i think can fake a high batting average for like a month or two Mm -hmm. and just he's the type of guy that if you draft him and he just doesn't get off to a good start you can you can drop him he'll he'll last on waivers for a little bit but he's also a guy that you may be able, someone else may be able to pick him up off waivers and he has an incredible two months. But if he starts to slide, just drop him again. Don't don't let him drag down all your ratios and all your stats for the next two months. Just kind of with him, just kind of ride the wave, whatever he's doing, because he can kind of fake a hot streak for, for six or eight weeks and really provide a lot of value. All right, coming up after the break, we are going to dive into the AL Central Bullpen Breakdown. Rotoware.com. Rotoware. Big shout out to the Rotoware uh, company. It's so goddamn comfortable. Can't recommend them enough, man. Yeah. High quality t shirts. Shout out to Rotoware.com. You see me rocking the shirts on the videos and stuff like that. Where'd you get that? Rotoware. That is courtesy of Rotoware. It's just it's just the highest quality of shirts. Yeah, I really like the baseball designs you got here. The shirt is beautiful. Everybody who I've talked to who has the shirt basically says they can't believe how good the quality is. Yeah, kid, I've seen you've been getting a lot of love. You said you've been only running for a little over a month. Yes, guys are tweeting out shirts. I'm seeing fantasy personalities everywhere digging this guy's shirt. I love the Run DFS shirt. It comes with baseball cards with all the different shirts on it. Rotoware on Twitter. Check out rotoware.com. Oh my God, is this, is this shirt making love to me right now? Like, what's going on? I love this shirt. Kicking off our AL Central deep dive into the bullpens. Uh, We're going to start with Cleveland. Cody Allen has had the job for the last two or three years, and the man running right alongside him is Andrew Miller. What other arms in this bullpen are should people keep on their radar? 
So the last four seasons in uh, Cleveland, Brian Shaw has had at least 23 saves. And with him exiting this year to Colorado, Nick Goody would be my guy. He had 11.8K per nine last season. Uh, 2-8 ERA, and he's going to fit in that kind of number three reliever role for the Indians. So Nick Goody would be my uh, my probably best holds candidate behind those guys. Yeah, I don't know if there's really somebody who I'm I'm too excited about. There's nobody who I've drafted in any league yet, um, and I draft some pretty deep leagues with saves plus holds. So there's nobody who I'm particularly interested in. I know Matt Belisle had a decent season last year, but um, he's going to be you know 100 years old next year, so. Um, I don't know how much longer his his uh, stock is going to hold. Obviously, Andrew Miller kind of speaks for himself. I think he had an ERA of like .50 for three fourths of the year last year. So, um, if you can you know pick him up, especially in your your saves plus holds leagues, you know just off the cuff, what value does he have, or where would you guys consider drafting Andrew Miller behind the regular closers in that type of a format? Is he a top six reliever for you guys? Personally, no. Just because, so he had 27 holds last season. Yep. So, he, you know, most closers are going to be in the high 30s, maybe 40s. So when you have a drop-off in the hold save category of that much, I wouldn't have him in the top six. I would have him for sure in this, like, maybe the 20s or late teens. But th- that's a significant um, drop-off in saves and holds. Yeah, and he probably got a few actual saves last year, right? So he he may get, you know, oh, 25 yeah. holds. That's and- true, yeah. And five or six saves in that mix just in certain situations and two inning saves and stuff like that. But I think the value that he provides with his almost 100 strikeouts and, and his you know incredible whip and ERA, I think for me, I think he's I think he's a borderline top, you know, seven top eight reliever in in saves and holds leagues. So just something to keep in mind. All right, let's move on to the Minnesota Twins. It has been stated that Fernando Rodney that was signed first will be the closer opening day. However long he holds on to that job with Addison Reed nipping on his heels, uh, we will have to see this year. So where can people look for holds outside of Addison Reed in this bullpen? Trevor Hildenberger had a really good year last year, 1.18 whip. He's somebody who I think could find his way into high leverage situations. For the Twins, Reed's kind of had some up and down years the past couple years. I think he's the one who I definitely would target at his current ADP in in those formats. I mean, if you look at his stats, I mean, he's (laughs) clearly been a better pitcher than Fernando Rodney last year, and there's an argument that he's a better pitcher than Addison Reed. Um, right-hander, so you don't have to worry about the left-hand kind of situations and stuff like that. So he's somebody who I already have multiple shares of in, in deep leagues and who I, I kind of want to target coming into this year. Yeah, because I like him a lot better than Taylor Rogers. Uh, Rogers had 30 holes last year. He was kind of thrust into uh, late-inning work last season. But he only has a 7-9 KA per 9. And um, also he's a lefty, so you never know how much they would want to use a lefty late in the game. So Especially with Rodney and Reed. So yeah, I would agree with you, Keith. That's pretty much much sums up what I was looking at. The other interesting arm, I would say, is just kind of keep him way, way, way on in the back of your mind. Zach Duke has been working back as a middle reliever, and he may be somebody who can get you some decent counting stats all across the board late in your drafts. Probably AL only almost. Is that your boy, Todd? That's my boy, Zach Duke. <laughs> 2005. I thought so. 
I thought that was him. <laughs> All right, let's head to Detroit. Shane Green is listed as the closer. I know they've been stretching out Alex Wilson to get starts in spring training to potentially make the opening rotation, but there's oh, there's not much in this bullpen I like. Do you guys see anything? This is the only team where under the closer for holds, I just wrote none. So <laughs> <laughs> looking up these guys, I really don't know who they are. So with Alex Wilson potentially being a starter, that's the only guy I would like for holds. So that's all I got. Uh, I'm going to second that. There's really nobody in the bullpen who I think, and honestly, which, what that means, there's probably going to be somebody in the minor leagues that kind of emerges as that potential seventh, eighth inning, you know, up and coming arm. Um, Cause it doesn't look like they have a, a ton of upside based on what I can see in there. Not somebody. Yeah. I, I'm, no, probably I'm a, not seeing anything either. Situation for me. <laughs> so no, nobody who I think has even got a little bit of sleeper appeal. So that's some, maybe a job to keep an eye on. Cause I bet you there's somebody who emerges from the minor leagues that uh, can probably take over some of that uh, role. Spin zone. Shane Green's jobs. Very safe this year. So yeah, <laughs> He's a very safe closer at this point. All right, let's head to the south side of Chicago and check out the White Sox. Closing for them is newly uh, acquired Joaquin Soria. What are we seeing in this bullpen? I really like Joaquin Soria. Um, I did a write-up for him for Fangraphs, and I kind of went into the you know the piece with kind of a negative feel for what he's done the last several years. And after looking at his you know metrics and his performance and his velocity and pitch mix, I left being like, why don't I target him in more leagues? And after looking at what his current ADP is, I was like, absolutely, I'll take him at that ADP. And I think part of the reason why he's being faded down draft boards is because people are not sure that he's going to have that job there's speculation that you know he may not be the number one option but for me and looking at the other guys i don't think it's even close no. soria's got experience in that role it's been a few years since he has saves but his actual production over the last several years and you know his his stuff i think is going to have him emerge as the option and i think it's sustainable so i for me he he's a really good value at that at that adp yeah i think soria He's going to be kind of a steal later at the closers. A guy to look out for for holds, though, Nate Jones is back. He believes he'll be ready for opening day coming off of Tommy John, I believe. Uh, and through 2016 and part of 2017, they pitched in 82 games, 2-3 ERA, and a 10-3 AK per nine. So he would probably be the eighth inning guy. Uh, obviously, coming off of Tommy John, he's nowhere near the closer debate. So that's good for Soria. But Nate Jones would probably be the eighth inning guy. Definitely agree there. All right. And let's head to the team that Soria came from, the Kansas City Royals. Their closer is Kelvin Herrera. And who is worthy in this bullpen to be looked at for holds? Mauer's got some appeal. He he had a really good year last year. So I think he's somebody who, just based on his success in high leverage situations, is going to be available in the seventh, eighth, and possibly ninth inning throughout next year. So I think just based on opportunities, he's somebody who I think I would be comfortable taking. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the ERA was rough, but I think he's a better pitcher than that. He's always been a good source of strikeouts. He's got really good stuff, so he's going to be the eighth inning guy, and I like him a little bit. So <laughs> That'll bring our bullpen breakdown to a close here, and we will dive into the overdrafted in the AL Central in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the refreshing new taste of... 
just like that other lemon-lime soda, except with the kick you love. Find it at stores everywhere. All right, diving back into the AL Central, let's head to Cleveland. Keith, who on this Indians roster is overdrafted? Man, that's tough because you're obviously not going to go with some of their big impact bats with like Lindor, Ramirez, Encarnacion. We know the value that they provide and they've been consistent over the last several years. So really the only person who I'm kind of left with is is Brantley. Um, and, and a lot of that has to do with just his injury for the last several years. I mean, he's currently being drafted around pick 250, which is not terrible value if you're expecting, you know, a, a full season. But I, I, I've been fooled too many times on Michael Brantley. And probably by the time this posts, he's probably going to have like a season ending, you know, injury. So <laughs> I, I don't I don't wish him any harm, but I just literally I've owned him each of the last two or three years and I've been the Michael Brantley hype man and I'm just tired of it. So I don't want any Michael Brantley. He's not going to affect my team's, you know, success or failures this year. I'm just me and Michael Brantley need some space. Yeah. uh, Last year, he only played 90 games, got less than 350 at bats. The year before he played in 11 games, got. 40 at bats and you have to go back to 2014 for him to play a full season. Uh, 2015 was pretty much a full season, but and it, it's pretty yeah. much guaranteed that now that I'm going to have zero shares of Michael Brantley, he's going to return to his 2014 you know, form. Oh, 2013, 2014 <laughs> value. He's going to be a top, you know, 20 outfielder and I'm going to cry myself to sleep at night. So, I mean, it's fine. 2020 <laughs> with a 300 average. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Todd, who is overdrafted for you? Yeah, and mine is Brantley, too. He's entering his age 30 season, so that doesn't bode well for his injury problems. And it's just not a not a ton of upside of how many games he's consistently missed every single season. So, Brantley, I think the fantasy community has a good gauge on the Indians. Everyone's pretty well drafted where they should be. I think if you have to make a case for someone, it's Brantley. All right, we're going to head to Minnesota. And let me guess here, Keith. Byron Buxton, Byron yeah, you Buxton. said it. <laughs> yeah, so state I think your Byron case, Buxton, man. <laughs> you know, and honestly, like it's it has to do with just him as a hitter, and you kind of have to, you know, for me, I have to ignore that for a little bit and understand that a lot of his value comes from steals. But if you are looking for 40 plus steals from him, you have to reconsider based on how many times he doesn't get on base. Um, and you know, uh, people a lot smarter than me have run the numbers and basically it would be really difficult for him to get to 40 plus steals based on his current skill set and his on base percentage. Now, if you just look at his second half last year and what he did in the second half compared to the first half, I mean, you can go bonkers. You could be like, he's a top, (laughs) you know, he's a top 40 pick or a top 50 pick, which is currently what his ADP is. But I think that's really irresponsible based on how up and down he has been. And it's not just one thing he needs to grow at. It's not like, hey, if he just makes more contact, he has an opportunity to make it to the next level. Or, hey, if he just displays better plate discipline, he can make it to the next level. Or, you know, if he just changes his approach a tiny bit by hitting more fly balls or changing his pull percentage or something like that. There's just not a clear enough path for me to like a top 20, 30, 40 pick 
and he's not being drafted too much further down the road than that. Todd? Yeah, I think Keith summed it up pretty good, too. My uh, my guy was Buxton, and it's just mainly because he's going 59th overall right now, according to fan tracks, and the guys behind him I like more. I like Pollock more. Uh, we talked about earlier on the pod a couple episodes ago, Chris Davis or Buxton. Uh, there's Fam going behind him. So those three guys I like more than Buxton. That's probably why I would put him as an overdrafted guy. Mine is actually not Buxton because I knew you guys were going to pick him. Uh, mine is actually Miguel Sano. Uh, Sano, the last two years, has played in less than 115 games. He's going at pick 101. And just looking at players around him, you have Jake Lamb that's going right near there. Mike Moustakis. Travis Shaw, I mean, even Devers is going right around the 90 to 110. And any of those looks more appealing than Miguel Sano. Just based off of time, he's going to be injured because he hasn't played a full season ever. Plus, I mean, 90 to 110 is basically Acuna Mancata or Acuna Mancata. Right. That's that's the territory in which... You need to take Acuna and then take Mancata and then you're good to go. Because that's basically what I've been doing in the last like five drafts. <laughs> go prospect heavy right there. I'm just going ups. I'm looking for upside because if you look at the rest of that group, I just and it has nothing to do with, you know, my love for those two guys, which it's kind of being you know placed that way. But it has much more to do with the hatred for the other like 20 guys in that territory. I just I don't feel like there's any safe picks. So if I have to reach for somebody, I'd rather reach for somebody who I think could potentially be a top 20 overall fantasy asset. Valid point. Let's head to Detroit. Who is, oh man, looking at this, Detroit first player off the board is sitting at number 96 currently, and that's Miguel Cabrera. Everybody else on the roster is later than pick 97. Who Who's getting overdrafted here, guys? I might just say yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because there's really nobody who I want on the on the Tigers, except for Michael Fulmer, maybe. But as far as the offense goes, Miguel Cabrera is is a lottery ticket. He's the lottery ticket the same way that Acuna is a lottery ticket, except for I think there's a clear path for Acuna to provide, you know, top 25 value. I just don't know if if Cabrera is going to be healthy enough for both his swing to produce and for him to stay on the field. Um, now I'm going to say that, and then he's going to play 156 games and hit 315 <laughs> with 33 home runs because that's what he's done for, you know, like basically the past five seasons before last year. But it was so bad last year. I mean, I know in a previous podcast we brought up what his his final rank was at first base, and it was outside, well outside the top thirty first baseman, and he didn't miss all that much time. So, no, and in that defense, I guess is it didn't come out until August when he went on the DL, and it was just kind of this innocuous, like, oh, he's got a back spasms or something. And in reading up on it this spring, he actually had two herniated discs all of last year. Yeah, that doesn't make me feel better, though. Like that, I get no. Yeah, that makes me want less of him. (laughs) Right. Kind of Clayton Kershaw esque, like, eh, we're going to fade on Miggy. Apparently, he's come in. He's been through a whole new regimen over the winter, done lots more stretching, better eating. And I've already seen predictions of him going triple crown again. Oh, man. He's, he's on that Kyle Schorber uh, diet plan. <laughs> not quite. Not quite. 
but I'm going to be interested in seeing how he does this year because of that herniated disc issue. So I, I don't know. Todd? I'm just worried about Cabrera just because first base is just like third base where it's such a deep position. And the thing is, Cabrera turns 35 in April. So having back issues, yes, he was injured last year, but is that going to be an issue all season this year too, amongst other things? And Cabrera, it's just at 96 overall, I like the guys behind him a lot more. So And there's a very small list of, of hitters that can get enough at-bats to qualify so you're talking 500 plus plate appearances that are over the age of 35. You know, I ran the numbers a few months ago. Off the top of my head, I think there was three hitters last year that were over 34 years old that qualified for the batting title. So they had at least 500 at bats. So you're banking on him being the exception to the rule at the age of 35 with a back injury. I mean, the upside's obviously there, but I think there's more counting against him. And if it was, you know, pick 150, I'm probably taking a shot. Like, I'm just I'm just going to take him because the upside's so real. But I feel like at pick 100, where you're going to have to take him, and there's other guys going around there, you know, like Moncada and, and Albies and, and even, you know, David Price and other people, I feel like there, there's just too many other good options. He feels a lot like Matt Olson to me, where... If things break the right way, you know, they could be incredible. Top, you know, top 50, top 30, top 40. But if they break the wrong way, they could be outside the top 250 easily. I mean, like very, very easily. And so their rank and their ADP is just based on the middle ground. And I just, I don't like that. All right. Either of you have anybody else? I do. We don't need to talk about it very long. But Cassianos, um, I just don't believe in the power. I think I did a write-up on him for Fantrax. Um, there's some goofiness going on with the batted ball data um, at Comerica Park. And, you know, long story short, I just don't trust it. And that's the one of the singular stats that point to Castellanos and his ability to hit for power. And so if you don't trust that singular stat, Nick Castellanos turns into a pretty average player really quickly. So I just don't trust the power. It's not really there for me in the rest of his profile. So originally he was going to be my pick, but he is going to be the everyday right fielder for the Tigers. So having him being an outfielder opposed to a third baseman kind of makes his value a little bit more worth it for me. So that's why I went with Cabrera, but definitely a regression candidate due to the, if you've seen Keith's article, um, you'll agree a little bit of regression candidate this year. And I know we've all, it's been kind of the conspiracy of the off season about Comerica Park. Uh, Mike Petrulio did a big write-up for it at MLB.com, uh, calling it possibly a hitter's haven uh, going back over 10 years span, looking at historical data and seeing when things changed, how much it changed, and it's definitely worth a, a deeper look. Something to kind of counter. Yeah, the, the, only, the only difference is, and I haven't read Mike's article, uh, Petriello, Mike Petriello for MLB.com. He does a lot of the StatCast stuff. Um, he's incredible. I, I listen to his podcast every once in a while. Super smart dude. Um, and I didn't read that article, but th- for me, the difference was everybody kept looking at the hard hit rates for the Tigers last year. Um, Alex Avila, uh, Nick Castellanos, Um, They were trying to explain that as Miguel Cabrera being okay. And so the hard hit rates were all there from the batted ball data, but the production wasn't. So everybody was like, oh, they're going to come around. They're going to come around. 
So if it was such a hitter's haven, you know, again, ignoring the fact that I haven't read the article, um, <laughs> if it was such a hitter haven, why is the production gone? Like why why isn't it playing like a hitter's ballpark? Why is it just why is just the the data look inflated and the production looks you know decreased? So. I'll have to check it out, but for for me, in, in whatever I the limited space that I looked into it, it, it looked like it was something weird was going on, and if nothing else, I just didn't quite trust it. Oh, for sure. All right, let's turn to Chicago, and who is overdrafted here on the White Sox? For me, uh, my guy, it's going a little late still. Um, not in the top 150, but at 51 overall, 189 overall in the draft. Lucas Giolito is my guy. He did have a 2-3 ERA last year, but he had a 4-9 FIB in his uh, seven starts at the major league level. Only a 6-7-5 K per nine. And he had a 4-5 ERA in the minors uh, before he came up. It's just at that spot, Jameson Talian's going um, eight picks ahead of him. And then behind him, you can get Taewon Walker, Aaron Sanchez, uh, just 10 picks behind him. So... For me, it's Giolito. Uh, he no one really stands out on the White Sox, but he was the top one. Can I say James Shields at pick seven hundred? Is that <laughs> <laughs> is that fair? Yeah, either him or uh, even Matt Davidson at four twenty. Uh, no, I mean, there's not really anybody who I see as like a a, a Brayu is somebody who. I just don't find myself drafting, and it's not because I don't believe in him. He's been like extremely consistent. Um, so I don't know why I don't have any shares of Brayu. It's probably just because I prefer the other guys more than him. So I don't end up with, you know, an empty spot there if I get past the, you know, the studs at the position and he's probably in that second tier. But if I get past those guys, I, I end up with, you know, high upside guys in the later rounds, you know, the Josh Bell type and, and stuff like that. So I don't see anybody who's like kind of glaring off the page at me as far as overdrafted. But if you own shields in a league, yeah. reconsider what you're doing fantasy Why? sports is supposed to be fun if you're drafting him <laughs> it's it's not gonna be fun trust me another guy who i wrote up for for uh, uh for fan graphs and my prediction at the end of the little you know article was basically that he was going to be DFA'd. the 2018 version of jared weaver oh ouch so that's in print um you'll be able to find it at fangraphs.com here pretty soon <laughs> You know, when you get that deep in a draft, you may as well even look for a middle reliever rather than a starter. I know, and I'm being I'm being mean to James Shields, so I apologize. He's he's probably super nice. Well, he's if he is the same Jared Weaver, I mean, this is the same Jared Weaver that the other night tweeted out that he threw balls into the gaps because he knew that's where <laughs> the guys were going to hit it. He just turned around and hucked them into the, into the, yeah. the right field. He's like, gap. okay, you get a double. You get a double. <laughs> All right. Um, now, to talk about Abreu here, I'd almost say that he's... Uh, I just showed my hand, but I'm going to hold that for our next segment. All right, on to Kansas City. Is there anybody left on this roster that we could even say is overdrafted? I think Keith might have a guy. Oh, wait, their top drafted player is... Oh, oh well, their top two <laughs> drafted players are guys that could be considered overdrafted, Keith. And so I'm going to actually a wild shot here. I, I don't have the ADPs in front of me. So uh, my guess is is probably Sal Perez because he's a catcher for one, which means he's probably being overdrafted. Um, and number two is Whit Merrifield. So yeah, they're probably both being overdrafted. Where's, where's Whit's current ADP right now? Is he being drafted? 88. See, that's still too high for me. And so around like 
December in January when everybody started first producing their their ranks and doing, you know, some quote unquote expert mock drafts and stuff like that. Um, I saw him go in the 50s and I started wow. to freak out a little bit. I saw him go like 56th overall and I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> And so 88 is better. Honestly, like there was in our listener league, I think it got to the point where around pick 105, 106. And I think we had like a 115 pick where if he would have fell back to us uh, or me, I would have considered taking him. So it's not, he's not that much further above where, you know, I'm going to have him ranked. Um, But it's just, it's hard because I think his profile is one that is pretty risky. And I just don't think his upside is as high as it's being projected for. Yeah, because for me, it probably would be it'd be wit too. Just because I would personally have him around 118. So Albies is going 118, so I'd put him around that range. And going at 88, he has been a guy who's been dropping as um, the offseason's gone on. But I think Witt would definitely be the guy. It's just everyone in that lineup, they're going to lose a ton of protection. You're losing three, four of your best hitters. So, I mean, after Witt and Perez, that lineup has absolutely nothing. So Yeah, if you have Jorge Soler slotted in as your number five hitter, <laughs> You're in you're in deep crap. All right. Well, we'll we'll put a pin in this uh, overdraft <laughs> here and we will be back with our underdrafts and sleeper picks in the AL Central. Hey everybody, it's me, Joe Pizzapia. Baseball is back, and so is the Fantasy Baseball Black Book 2018 edition. This year, I've got Paul Spore doing the starting pitching chapter. I've got Jake Seeley doing outfield profiles. I've got Sammy Reed doing DFS. we got championships waiting for you. Go get it right now, the Fantasy Baseball Black Book 2018, available on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle and on iTunes, because once you go Black Book, well, you know the rest. All right, it's time to get into our sleepers and underdrafted players in the AL Central. All right. So, Keith, start us off here with Cleveland. Who is underdrafted and who could be a sleeper? You know, one of the options for me is Carlos Carrasco. And I know that sounds a little bit crazy, but he's somebody who I find myself targeting in, you know, a lot of a lot of drafts. So, um, Carrasco is one. The other one that I'm kind of drawn towards is Bradley Zimmer, just based on what his upside is, if if kind of things click for him. Um, but the one that I'm going to go with, and it's going to be kind of an unpopular pick, and I'm okay with that. Michael I Brantley? Hope... No, no. <laughs> nope, nope. Uh, Brantley and I are on a break, so um, I'll, I'll talk about him later. It's um, I think it's Jose Ramirez. So let that sink in for a second. Ooh. I think Jose Ramirez Ooh. is being underdrafted. At 22? Um, at 22. All right. I, I kind of toyed around with it after looking into Jose Ramirez, and I asked myself, you know, like kind of mid-research, I'm like, is Jose Ramirez a first-round draft pick? Meaning, like, it, it, are we kind of still sleeping on the value that Jose Ramirez provides? 
because you know his, his steals kind of fade, and, and he was a much better power hitter than we give him credit for. And I think part of the reason why he's still kind of underdrafted, in my opinion, is because his emergence from several years ago. I think we're still kind of fading him the way that we faded Jose Altuve for the first two or three years of his career, expecting that production to fade. And I just I think I'm a believer in Jose Ramirez, so. You know, I've taken him as early as 12 or 14, I think, this year. Um, and although I don't want to take him there, I'm definitely comfortable taking him, you know, in the in the 18 range and stuff like that. So where was this research during our Battle of the Podcast draft? <laughs> what what happened? We uh, we didn't take him when he was on the board. Who did we take? Freeman. Uh, yeah, it was Freddie Freeman. Well, Freddie Freeman, I think, is a first-round draft pick. True. I think Freddie Freeman has has as close of a path to being the number one player at his position as anybody. Yeah, we went Betts at 13 and Freeman at 18, which yeah, both I, of those are pretty much a steal of the draft. Yeah, I think there's there was an opportunity that, that maybe, by some stretch of the imagination, that Ramirez could fall back to us you know, 10, 12, 13 picks later or something like that. Freeman definitely is not lasting past pick 16 in in most drafts and i think he's like i said i think he has a clearer path to being the number one player at his position than than maybe anybody else that's being drafted as like a you know third fourth or fifth option all right todd who is underdrafted for you yeah for me um i've talked enough about yonder alonso for um yeah he's going 25th 20 homers 365 on base percentage last year that's all i'm gonna say but uh bradley zimmer is gonna be my guy 18 stolen bases in 100 games last year so hit nine homers uh he has 15 25 30 potential so at pick 174 41st outfielder bradley zimmer would probably be um my number one option here for best sleeper on Indians. Yeah, if you want to hear more on Bradley Zimmer, go back and listen to our episode where Phil compared him with uh, oh, Gregory Polanco. Uh, <laughs> he, he's a gazelle out there in the outfield, too. Like, he is, I think, like the third or fourth fastest guy, according to StatCast Sprint Speed, in the outfield. So I think he's just a tick behind, you know, guys like uh Hamilton and guys like Buxton you know those guys are freaks but he's not too far behind that's crazy he's doing it at 64 so yeah that's that's insane the strikeouts are definitely going to be there with him but he's displayed a good um patient profile in the minor leagues and I kind of expect him to take a little bit of a step forward as far as you know getting on base and I think that'll definitely help his production as far as steals goes. Yeah, he's 25 this year, and he's bound to take a good step forward this year. So definitely keep him on your radar. Another kind of sleeper pick would be Francisco Mejia. I think that's who it is, who yeah. uh, who will be catching or could be catching as a rookie this year for them. Um, he can overtake Jan Gomes and really step up into that everyday role. He's he's a good sleeper going around 305 right now. And I've heard kind of both sides of Mejia where um, the Indians really like him and they're looking for opportunities to get his bat in the lineup, whether that's at third base or at catcher or, or somewhere else in that lineup. So they definitely believe in him, so that's um, a good opportunity. The other thing that I've heard is that they're struggling with finding a way to get his bat in the lineup, <laughs> and that maybe he doesn't have a natural position that's going to be best suited for him. So it's not like he's going to get a lot of reps at DH with Encarnacion there as being the you know the staple in that lineup. But they definitely want to give him opportunities, and I view him 
Similar to how I view Willie Calhoun, I think their bats are both ready. It's just a matter of whether or not they get regular reps. And if they do, like you're saying, Jeremy, I expect them to produce. All right. Let's turn to Minnesota. Who on this Twins team is underdrafted? Todd, kick us off here. We say Byron Buxton. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, this was another tough one. I personally went with Logan Morrison. Now, he's going 26 at first base, 295. So I think that'll bump now that he's signed. But he did hit 38 homers last year, 350 on base percentage. He's going to get every day at bats, which is huge. Um, So I would go Morrison. I like him at 295. I would agree with that one. Keith? I think I'm going to pass. Ooh. I just <laughs> I just don't really and I think, you know, you can make a case for Eddie Rosario. Um definitely performed above expectations last year. Uh, but I, I just I don't know that there's somebody in that lineup who I find myself gravitating towards based on what their value is. I think there's a lot of high upside, pretty risky players like Buxton, Snow, and guys like that, but I don't see a, a lot of guys who I think just has an unbelievable value. I think maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't really have anybody who I think is being underdrafted. At uh, pick 953, Zach Duke. <laughs> what? <laughs> who was it? Zach Duke at uh, 953. <laughs> totally underdrafted. I would take him over James Shields. I was going to say. Let's. <laughs> Let's put that bet on the board. <laughs> Can we just give Phil uh, James Shields? Assign him James Shields. Since he's not here, sign him. Just, just, hey, sneak that on the boards and just see if he notices. Like midseason, he's even like, wait, when did I make this bet with James Shields? Like, please, yeah, like sneak he, it on the board. He doesn't listen to the show, does he? No, of course not. Sneak it on the board. We'll see if he notices. <laughs> Can you guys do like a Phil impression? And we could like, like do a fake... Uh... <laughs> He'd probably take Shields over Gregerson. He probably would. <laughs> he probably would. All right. All right. Notated that one. All right. On that note, we're going to turn to Detroit. Who is getting underdrafted here? Any sleepers? The only one, maybe, would be uh, Candelaria, the third baseman. He's going to get every day at bats. He was one of the top prospects that was traded over in the Justin Wilson trade from the Cubs. Uh, he hit 330 and 94 bats last year, so I guess that's cool. But, you know, 15 home run guy, maybe 20. He's going to play every day, so that would probably be the best one from the Tigers. But The one for me might be Michael Fulmer, and I think because he's not the sexy pick, the last several years, he doesn't get a lot of the the you know attention that maybe he deserves. He's been a really good pitcher the last several years. Um, you know, both years, good quality ERA, um, borderline 200 innings pitched. His WHIP, I think, is a real asset in fantasy leagues. And if you look at the the players that are being drafted around him, um, it's not a lot of sure sure bets. So for me, if I'm looking for somebody who I need to count on for 150, you know, 170 innings with a quality whip, he's probably a good, a pretty good option for me. Definitely, he's got an excellent ground ball to fly ball ratio, sitting uh, 185 on his for a career, and yeah, his career whip is 113. Three one one four. Yeah, and and the guys going around him, and I like Danny Salazar when he's when he's healthy. Um, he's another good option to like you know Garrett Richards. 
Um, but they're, they're, those guys have a lot of risk built in them. I mean, Salazar spent time in the bullpen last year. Um, the Indians have a great rotation, so he may find himself on the outside looking in. Uh, Garrett Richard hasn't pitched very many innings in the last several years because of his injury. Um, Danny Duffy's strikeout rate absolutely plummeted last year. Chase Anderson, you know, was he a one-time, you know, you know, was that his career year? Is he going to do anything else? So I think the rest of that group around him isn't, you know, as sturdy as what what I expect him to be. So if you're looking for somebody that you can definitely count on, I think he's kind of being underdrafted in that mix. Todd? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I said uh, Candelario. Oh, okay. So okay. But Just making sure. Kinda, yeah. So is Cassiano's not the third baseman there? Yeah, so they want him to be the everyday right fielder. Yeah. Ah. So, yeah. I don't know how that's going to go, but it doesn't matter. It's Tigers, but. <laughs> they need to just let Victor Martinez retire and sign somebody to be a D, uh, DH there. Yeah, over or under his projected 556 plate appearances for Victor Martinez? <laughs> uh, under. Strong under. Uh, he got <laughs> like, under 400 last year. Yeah, Let's see. Usually, usually Let's projections see. are pretty, like, you know, careful about uh, not over predicting players. I mean, you have James McCann predicted at 456 and they're expecting, you know, 550 out of Victor Martinez. Like, I, I think it'd be a stretch to give him 400 bats. So the but last the last four years with Victor Martinez, it's been he got 560. Then he was at 440. Then he was at 553 and under 400 this last year. So it's kind of been off and on with him hot and cold. It's going to be cold. He's going to be 40. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. another thing about Martinez is that because last year's season was cut short because he had the heart murmur. So oh, I don't right. think they're going to push him. You know, I think even if he doesn't go on a DL, plays the full season, I don't think they're going to push him for that much. I think he'll be still in the 400 bat range. Yeah, I, I just and he's not being drafted. I mean, he's not somebody who people are targeting. He's hitting fourth in their lineup or projected for fourth. So the Tigers are relying on him or, or banking on him a lot more than, you know, the fantasy community is, which is probably pretty safe. Yeah, definitely. All right, on to the south side of Chicago. Who on the White Sox is underdrafted here? You know, for me, it maybe I'm kind of a sucker for the um, the average, but Avisel Garcia, he's going 200 overall, number 47 outfielder. Hit 330 last year for 380 on base percentage. Uh, the K rate, massive drop, got down to 19%. He only hit 19 homers, but he battled a thumb injury in the second half. So you got to wonder if maybe that factored in, if there is a little bit more power upside. So for me, I would go Garcia. I think at 200, that's still a good value. Um, I'm going to go Nikki Delmonico at like pick number 400 or something. Um, I, I like what he did in a small sample last year. And, you know, I think he had like an 850 OPS. He had a decent yep. amount of home runs. Um, not a high strikeout guy, good plate discipline. It's a really small sample, but I think if he's going to get regular bats in that lineup, which, you know, I would expect him to, uh, he's somebody who I think I'd want to own in a lot of leagues because I think just in a small sample and, and obviously it's that, but he was really, really good in that small sample. True. He would be definitely the sleeper on this team. I'm going to say that Jose Abreu is the underdrafted guy here. This is continuing on where I kind of tripped up in last segment. But Jose Abreu is the... I've, I've heard him been heard him being called of late the 
least sexy, boring pick at 42 or 43 overall. Uh, Listen to these averages. 317, 290, 293, 304. That's consistent. An on-base percentage of about 350 you can count on. He won't steal you many bases, but he did steal three last year. And he's had 100 RBI every year he's been in the league. He's hit at least 25 home runs, floating more, averaging at 30 every year. And going to get you 80 to 90 to 100 runs. He is a model of consistency. And going at 43 overall definitely should be drafted at least another 10 picks ahead. So you would take him over Reese Hoskins? Yeah, it would be close, but I would take Abreu over him, yeah. Okay. What about, like, uh, Corey Seager? Yes. Interesting. I think production-wise, he may be better than Corey Seager. He definitely has been over the last several years. Um, okay. I, I don't disagree with that in looking at that ADP, like, because from where Seager's coming off the board at 32, you have Seager, Dozier, Severino being a pitcher, Alex Bregman, DeGrom, T. Gordon, Verlander, Benintendi, and Hoskins, and then Abreu. Like, I'm okay if you want to take him at 35. I don't really see a, a problem with that, but I, I find myself taking, you know, shortstop or second base or pitcher in that area more than I'm taking Abreu because right before that, I'm targeting guys like Freddie Freeman, Joey Votto, Paul Goldschmidt, and then I'm probably waiting at the position. So I think his value probably is appropriate at, you know, 35 to to 36 or 37, whatever it is. But I think just finding other positions at that spot is what most people are doing after the, the gold rush at first base in the first few rounds. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Plus there's Edwin that's right there, Nelson Cruz that's right there, all guys that are have also been extremely consistent that – if you miss out on Abreu, it's not like there's a, a monstrous drop off with, no, with those two guys. No, definitely not. So, all right, Todd, you got a you got one in, correct? Yeah. yeah I all right. All right. Let's head to Kansas City. Who is getting underdrafted here? Scrolling, scrolling, <laughs> scrolling. Can I pick another one from the White Sox? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, there. I, there, again, Kansas City um, is a DL stint and a regression candidate away from being a AAA <laughs> offense, um, which is fine because they've you know two of the last four or five years they've been in uh, in in the hunt and and walked away with the World Series. So this is their rebuild. Um, but there's as far as fantasy assets on there, like if you want to take a shot at Jorge Soler, um, because at one point a few years ago we thought he was going to be good, like <laughs> I'm all for that. Like, you know, go for it. Um, but there's nobody really on that lineup who I think I'm looking at and targeting as, you know, gonna really benefit you and has a potential of of jumping up and being productive by a hundred or more picks. No, the only name that's potential to me to even jump 50 picks from where he's at right now is Mondesi. And that would depend on if he that's, gets every day at bats. Yep. That's a, that's a good, a good pick there. Um, and, and he's somebody who again, doesn't have the best hit profile or hit tool, but if he can kind of fake it for long enough to get, you know, 15, 20 steals knocked off there, I think he could provide a ton of value. That's a good, good pick there, Jeremy. Yeah. Cause in, 47 games his first year in 2016 he stole nine bases in 25 games he stole five bases last year so 
he's somebody, if they get regular at bats, he can get into a groove, probably bat in the low 220, 240 range for a full season and at least steal you some bases. So looking yeah. deep, deep drafts there. All right, any last words on the Royals? Their fans are nice. <laughs> they have a really good fan base. They're super nice. All right, gents, that'll wrap up this week's episode. Where can the people find you? Todd? You can find me at Cody Happens on Twitter. Keith? Uh, fantasy underscore Keith. Again, like always, reach out, kind of send us your questions. We'll make sure to get you guys on the podcast and answer as many as we can. I uh, really like hearing from you guys. I have been Jeremy at Front Office Jer. Find the podcast at Fan Front Office. Check out the articles we have up on our home on the web, fanfrontofficepodcast.com. And follow along with our Battle of the Podcast draft over on our Twitter feed. Let us know how you think our draft is going and who might have the advantage there. So hang on after the song and catch our extra innings deep dive into Wit Merrifield. And if not, well, we will see you all next week. Without looking, can I can I uh, pick on you guys for a second? Uh oh. Do you guys know how old Whit Merrifield is? Without looking. Without looking. So I think he's twenty-eight. 20 I think I saw that before. Yeah, he's twenty-nine. Ooh. Wow. And last year was his first productive year in the majors. <laughs> and somebody in NFBC, after his first productive <laughs> year in the majors, after paying money to join a league. <laughs> Picked him at 43rd overall. Oh, that person's got to be related to him. That's his mom. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... Or it's Whit Merrifield himself. Oh man, it's it's Buxton, so the hate will will be transferred over to, to Wit. There you go. It's Buxton's picking picking uh, Whit Merrifield and and Rugnet Odor like with his first and second picks. So oh, let's man. let's since we brought Merrifield up, what's what's his floor? His floor is outside the top 250. His floor is is droppable by June or be <laughs> or before. I'm I mean, I mean totally honest. He he his floor is Jonathan Villar from 2017. Valid comparison. His floor and I think I brought it up, so I'm kind of beating a dead horse here. But I, I compared those two in their last thousand at bats, and they have very similar productive seasons over like the last two seasons or. You know, looking at them in Just, their exact same sample size. Yeah, the difference I was going to say Merrifield doesn't even have a thousand at bats. He's got pretty close. Eight, I thought maybe, maybe it was nine hundred. That I got. Yeah, yeah, maybe it was something like that. But if you look at their, you know, the same sample size of nine hundred at bats, um, the only difference between those two is um, VR stole like twenty more bases, and he had like six or eight more home runs. So Jonathan VR's ceiling is almost twice as high as as what Merrifield's, and VR in his peak performance of 2016 I think was like a top 40 fantasy asset and that's with more production than what Whit Merrifield has done at his potentially his peak so there's so much room to regress based on what his plate skills are or are not and if he doesn't steal and, and it's not like steals are the most predictive stat I mean we have guys who 
you know, Manny Machado stole 20 plus bases one year and the next year he stole zero. Right. You know, I don't think I don't think Whit Merrifield's going to do that. But if he does, you are absolutely wasting a top 70 pick. Just completely. You may drop Whit Merrifield after, you know, eight weeks into the season if he's got you two steals, <laughs> two home runs and is batting 222. And I think all of those things are, are, are possible. Yeah, because I. I think he would have a floor to kind of give a comparison, uh, like 2017 Chris Owings, where uh, like a 10 homer, 10 stolen base guy, you know, bad walk rate. I think that would be the worst case scenario, kind of. And he's going like 280 right now. So I think the other side of that is what's his ceiling. Like if Whit Merrifield becomes, you know, peak 30 year old Whit Merrifield, what type of value or what type of season do we see that providing? Uh, pretty much what he did last year, almost 20 homers. 35 stolen bases that's probably his ceiling yeah that has to be I, I mean there's no way he reaches that again i mean he could be close but i don't think he's gonna legitimately surpass, uh, surpass that all right well let me, give me just a just a second here let me pull up some numbers for you guys i mean just looking at a glance the overview average wise he hit nearly identical average 285 286 over the two seasons a 324 on base. So there's some consistency there, but uh, I don't see much more of a ceiling than what he did last year. And again, like what we talked about earlier, um, he goes from being the sixth or seventh most feared guy in the lineup to one or two this season. You know, if the Royals losing everyone. So, you know, opposing pitchers, that's the main guy to game plan against now. <laughs> so is Witt going to so, bat three in that lineup? I, I mean, I would assume some... You bet. Three, four, two, three, something like that. Yeah. All right. So I, I kind of dug up real quickly what I have on him compared to other hitters in 2017. So just a uh, real quick analysis of him. So he's got an 87 uh, mile an hour average exit velocity. Um, he did okay against left handers last year, an 800 OPS. Had a 273 average. Um, he hits a, a decent amount of ground balls. His launch angle is actually surprisingly high at 20 degrees. So with a 20 degree launch angle and an average exit velocity of 87 miles an hour, it will be hard for him to maintain a very high batting average. Um, he does have an extremely good contact rate, which you like to see in kind of speedy hitters. So his contact rate of 84, 85% is, is really good. Um, his strikeout percentage is strong at 14%. His uh, walk percentage at 4.5% is basically non-existent, wow. which is the biggest knock on him. So a 4.5% walk rate coming off a career year for a 29-year-old explained to me why in the world a major league pitcher being one of the only potential threats in the lineup would ever pitch to him. I, I, I don't understand. That's, that's the biggest threat is like, what, why, if I'm pitching to a lineup that has him and Jorge Soler, why would I just throw, why would I just throw him junk the entire time? So his average last year for batting average was 288, which puts him in the top like 40 or 50 players. His XBA or his expected batting average for stat cast was 258. So he, based on his plate neutral ability, would just bat probably around 260, which I think is pretty realistic based on how high his launch angle is. So if you give him, you know, 260 and, I mean, how many stolen bases would we give him? 25? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. 25 stolen bases, 17, 18 home runs, um, another 80 runs again, and a max of 65 RBIs. That's kind of who I think he is. Especially in that depleted lineup now. And that's the, that's the biggest thing. If you look at his actual, like, home runs plus steals production, he's elite. I mean, he had a combined 53 home runs and steals last year, um, which was incredible. And a lot of his value came from his counting stats 
Um, but I, I just can't imagine why a major league pitcher with him being one of the only threats in that lineup would ever want to pitch to him with a 5% walk rate. Exactly. And he saw, and here's the other thing, here's here's the last thing that I'll say, and this will be kind of the icing on the cake. So he saw 47% of pitches in the zone last year. That's one of the highest zone percentages among qualified hitters last year. So if you change that to a zone percentage where he sees 35 to 37% strikes, what does that do to him based on his approach to the plate? That's why I think he's such a massive risk at what he is because he saw just a ton of grooved pitches last year and did the best with those pitches. But if you take away those strikes and force him to take walks, he's really going to have to learn to do that or he's going to be end up, you know, with a much lower batting average. Right. Because you're taking Moustakas out of that lineup, Hosmer and yeah, just. So his zone percentage at 46 or 47%, whatever I said, was the 12th highest in the majors. Wow. I don't think that that's going to continue. And of the guys who received that many strikes, um, he is one of the only ones that has that low of a walk percentage. A lot of those guys are getting strikes because they're Joey Votto and his walk percentage is 20. So, I mean, there's there's two different, you know, thought processes in giving people – you know, 45 to 50% strikes. There's the thought process where I have to throw him a strike because otherwise I'm just going to walk him. Right. Or there's the thought process that he is Jose Peraza and he's not going to do anything with the bat anyways. <laughs> so I might as well attack him. No, that that's honestly what this list is. So if you look oh, at that oh, list. Oh, for sure. So Jose Peraza is like number one or number, you know, whatever it is, number 10. So D Gordon, DJ LeMayhew, Joey, Joe Maurer, Real Muto, Byron Buxton, Jorge uh, Polanco, Jose Peraza. A lot of those guys are speed first guys. Because the the pitchers are not afraid of what they're going to do with the bat. Well, Whit Merrifield hit 20 home runs last year, or 20-something home runs last year. The chances of him repeating that based on pitchers now seeing him for the second time is really, really low. That's why I think he's a bust. All right, so which of the—rank these three hitters, because you've got Merrifield, VR, and Peraza. Who who is more appealing? Based on their value at their ADP or just overall? Just overall. Just talking I would baseball still put, here. I would still put Wit over over both those guys. I think, you know, probably just based on recency bias, Wit did it last year. VR had an atrocious year. I'm more likely to draft VR because he's going 130 picks later. But right. I think just, just based on what they've done recently, what Merrifield produced last year, VR did not. So in your second base ranks, like where would you have Mir- uh, Wit? Because he's number seven right now for second baseman. Um, just off the top of my head, probably around 15. Okay. Um, I, Because... Yeah. Who who's just rattle off who like ten through fifteen is? Okay, so like there's mainly the, the main six is like Murphy, Cano, and then the big four. So number eight, Taylor Jason. Definitely take then, Taylor over him. Yeah, Odor's nine. Um, Odor is yeah. is at pick two hundred for me. Yeah, <laughs> right. But after after that though, so yeah, Moncada, Albies. Definitely Hap, take those guys over over Wit. Hap. Uh, Hap, I worry about playing time. Yeah. So maybe he's maybe he's just behind Albies, which technically would still put him in the the top ten. I, I may take DJ LeMahieu over over Whit Merrifield. Yeah, because if you switch uh, if you switch Odor and LeMahieu, number twelve in your list would be Whit then about twelve, about one twenty. So that's where I have him. So yeah, I, I think I, I like I said before, I would probably take him around one twenty just because I feel like at that point the the risk may be worth it. Um, but that would be, you know, but I'm not going to like 50 overall is just to me, it's just crazy. <laughs> like, I, I feel like that's just irresponsible. Like, yeah, I need just to, I can't need to breathalyze that. that owner. 
I know. I mean, like third overall, but, really. But, but he he also he's one of those players where steals players can have a ton of upside. But it's and we probably spent you know ten minutes more than we could have on wit. But you know we broke down his profile pretty quickly. There's there's a lot of risk built into that. I mean, things really have to break his way. He has to get pitched a certain way, which is out of his control. The players around him have to give him support. He has to continue off of a breakout season at age twenty eight. I mean. There's a lot of risk built into that. So, yeah, for me, I'm, I'm not going to own a ton of wet miracle this year. 